Welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast. My name is Tyler Sharp, Editor-in-Chief of Modern Huntsman, and I am over here in Scotland on a little adventure. I bet you all weren't expecting that as an intro. <laughs> no, not, not. We, I'm here, Byron. Daryl, here as well. And uh, Tyler is not actually on this podcast, but he was in the office when we needed to do the intro, so we thought we'd bring him in as a, a guest intro person, who, which we've never had before. <laughs> we've never had that before. But he has been on the podcast before. Uh, it was a, a whiskey fueled podcast. Uh, a very late whiskey fueled podcast. Six months ago. Uh, if, if people have listened to it, they will remember that uh, we talk in that podcast about recording it about six hours before in that day, and then our card corrupted. So we had to record it again. That was depressing. Hopefully, that's not going to happen uh, later in a couple of days' time when we do the second podcast of Tyler. I hope not. I hope not. Yeah, me neither. Although you do have whiskey, so we do have a backup plan. <laughs> How are you doing, though? You good? I'm doing great. Yeah, doing great. Why We're... on earth have you come back to Scotland so soon? <sighs> well, I just couldn't get enough the first time, and after seeing it, I decided that uh, my girlfriend Katie needed to come experience Scotland for herself and gain some inspiration for the next issue. So that's part of the inspiration. That's a good enough reason why we're here. Very, very good reason. Yeah. You're welcome to be back on the podcast and back visiting us as well. We've got a very busy office today. Tyler's been busy working. Katie's busy busy working here. And we're actually going to do a podcast with Katie as well. We discussed it last night. I, know, I think she's shopping. I'm seeing some trousers <laughs> over there. <laughs> That's design inspiration. <laughs> she said she was working. Yeah. Uh, I've been doing some work. Daryl's been editing the podcast that you're about to listen to today. So it is all go. And Floki's busy having his ears rubbed. That's what Spaniels do that best. That is what Spaniels do. Well, we've got a podcast today, which is a little bit different. Um, you're going to be hearing from a gent called Mark Ripley, uh, who is a long-range shooter and hunter. Hold on. Don't don't turn off. It's it is going to be long range shooting in a way that you haven't heard of it before. Uh, I it wasn't it didn't go how I thought it was going to go in terms of the conversation and it, I think you know I learned a lot and I think everyone else is going to yeah, learn no, a lot from it. Too. Really really cool. Really cool podcast. This extra podcast actually. Yeah, I, no, I can't believe it. It's yeah. actually an extra one. I had to check with Daryl today. I said was it 2 weeks ago? <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was Thursday that we gave you the epic 3-hour long podcast on Simon Farm. I, th- I think people well. are still consuming uh, right I th- now. I think they are, yeah. Uh but this is an extra podcast that is going to be brought to you by Scott Country. Uh, it is Black Friday deal time very very soon. So when this goes out on 5 p.m. of the day that it goes Are out. Are you actually on the putting Thursday. it out on the, like, on the, on the, on the minute? Oh, well, it's going out tomorrow morning. Okay. So I know we're talking about times here and no one's got any idea no. because this podcast you can listen to in six months' time. But uh, basically, the day that this podcast goes out, then so the deal will be the 22nd of November, 2018. Yep, that is. That's when the deals are. Uh, the deals will be, I think, showing up 5 o'clock on the Thursday and then the deals are on the Friday. Yep, exactly. But if you want all the information that you need, I'm going to go through some of the deals that, that that's happening. All you need to go is all the W's, scottcountry.co.uk forward slash Black Friday. Not Black Friday, Black Friday. I'm sure if you just Google Scott Country International, you'll also be able to, on the homepage, find the Black Friday tab It, as it well. will be uh, on the link description as well, underneath when you're reading in the podcast. In the podcast, yeah. So, 
Do you want to? Uh, I, well, I know that there's going to be up to 50% off across their entire range. So if there's something on there that's been tickling your fancy for months and you've been like, uh, and you're we, probably going to buy it. We, we, actually talk, we actually talk about a few of the, the products today that are actually going to be in the set. Yeah, we did actually. Some of them were brought up in this podcast. So it's absolutely, it's perfect synergy. It is. We've got. Pulsar, Nightsight, Yukon, Wild Games, Zeiss, and Fleer Systems. I also know that, because we were talking about at the very end of the podcast, Wicked Lights is also in part of that Black Friday, um, I don't know, collection, deals, yeah. deals. deals. Uh, so yeah, offers go live Thursday, 5pm. Uh, but there is also a, was it clearance? Yes. So there is also, on top of the, the deals which are going to be on the website, there is also going to be clearance items, and they are going to be released in a PDF on their website. I've already had a pre- preview of it. Oh, it's so you? easy to like navigate at all the clearance lists is at the top, okay. and then there's the list of all the rest of the deals below. So they, they couldn't have made it any easier for you. So do not miss out on that. Floki's going mad. Floki's going yeah. mad. He's, he that's your to, fault, that's Tyler, your isn't fault. it? Yeah, Tyler's there. Throwing, throwing a ball for the dog. <laughs> Uh, it's stolen Torrance toy. Torrance toy, that's what it is. I mean, he's doing what he does. He knows what to do, which is bring things back to you. Well, we're going to get to see him work. Yep. I've not seen your dog work yet, though. Yeah, I know. I need to. I think right now he's he's still learning, but uh, I think the key is I need to take him for a walk before you go out. Well, like tire a him. long walk and tire him a little well, bit. Well, maybe like get him to run behind the car for a few months. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's going to so, retrieve Katie's first hunted birds. That's going to be his plan. It's gonna. This is gonna be very exciting because it's gonna be the first time Katie's had a chance to hunt. Mm-hmm. And have you have you actually in Scotland done any? I mean, like we rough we went stalking. We went stalking one day time, yeah. unsuccessfully, but no, no, no bird hunting. So this is gonna be a, a first it, it all is. round on Friday. It is. And on Thursday, which is actually the day that this podcast goes out, um, Tyler and I will be up Glenesk um, sampling hind stalking with a Garen because uh, he saw the pictures of the, the ponies working on the hill from the article in Modern Huntsman in Volume 2. He's like, I, I have to do that. Mm-hmm. So he came and we made it happen. And then we started talking about ponies and Katie lit up and goes, <gasps> do we get to ride them? <laughs> not not those kinds of ponies. No, for, <laughs> I said not. you do, but only if you're a dead red deer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have a competition ongoing from the podcast a week ago. And I cannot believe the amount of people who have entered this. No joke. I have about 300 pictures of other people's dogs on my phone from just Instagram alone. So what we asked was we put up a picture of a CZ doormat, which seems to be one of the most popular prizes I think we've ever given away. And it had a picture of the the doormat with my puppy beside it. And we wanted funny pictures of your dog. And you delivered. So what we're going to do is we're going to filter through them all and decide like I don't know our top ten and then let just let the public decide. Yeah, you know what the best one is. Some of them are absolutely brilliant. So we'll stick up the we'll repost the top ten on social media, and uh, then we we'll announce the winner on social as well. Or maybe if we've done it if we've done it before the next podcast, then we can we can announce on the next podcast. Exactly, exactly. Have you got anything else on your list? Um. I just had that the one thing that we don't mention in this podcast is that when we first spoke to Mark uh, or was first tied up with Mark, who you're going to be hearing from, it was because we had given uh, some items for a raffle to raise money 
for a for a young a young chap who had terminal cancer, and they were trying. Mark was sort of the, the front man who had pulled it together, and he had worked with Scott Country and a whole heap of people from around the country had um, given prizes in for this raffle to raise money so that he could try and do some some awesome things in the time that he had left. So it was it was amazing, and he told us when we were off air that they had raised over seven thousand pounds. So hopefully he gets yeah, to do some of the things he wanted to do. That is really really cool. Yep. raising that money so we, we sent down a Hornady reloading manual some coffee and yeah. some other bits and pieces the, the things that we we normally give away on the podcast uh we didn't give away for a couple of weeks and we sent it all down um to a good cause we also i was gonna say at the well, i must apologize at the beginning and the end of the podcast I and mean, you won't notice it because it's all, all smooth transactions we actually lost the first 10 seconds of the show which was us introing mark and we also lost the last five seconds of the show of us all saying goodbye so um so, it wasn't abrupt no so we, we didn't was, just press it wasn't, it wasn't that abrupt uh it was i for whatever reason the card just didn't do it. Tyler's looking very worried yeah. right now because he's thinking, "You're not going to give me another card when we do our podcast. That's not working." Yeah, we're gonna probably. we're gonna do a double triple check. <laughs> it was only the, ten seconds, but it was either side of the start and end. If, if you want to follow what uh, Mark Ripley's up to, he's two sixty rips on the Facebook. social medias and also on YouTube, which yeah. we talk about a bit on here. We do indeed. So, just as a way to wrap up before you get into this, Tyler, what? How has the response for Volume Two been? It's been amazing. Been good. Yeah, we. I really didn't know. I I kind of took a little bit of a step back. It, it was much more work than the first one. We have almost twice the amount of contributors, and we have fifty-two additional pages from Volume One. It's, it's chunky. It's a tome, as a friend of ours told us. Um, but it's it's been incredible. Uh, you know, the the ability to see f- for us to be able to repost Instagram stories of other people getting it in the mail and flipping through it and, and we've been reposting a lot of people's responses and um and sort of comments and i i don't even have to say criticism we really haven't heard anything bad except for the one person who says it smells funny well, <laughs> now, like now, a- now can you assure us because our listeners are gonna go yeah where where are they uh they're on their way right so we have confirmation <laughs> that they are on a boat uh, apparently with freight because there's so many different people involved it's not as efficient of a tracking system I've never personally shipped a, a, a pallet of yeah. magazines across the seas uh, John Dunaway who you should have on at some point is a ship captain in Houston he'd probably be able to give us a little more insight there but uh, the the response has been fantastic I think we've sold 2,000 copies in a few weeks amazing um, I'm, I'm sure that'll slow down maybe not I don't know but I think that it's absolutely a step up from volume one um, as you have now seen yes we, we glanced our eye, eyeballs on it for the first time yeah. uh, in, in its completely finished form and yeah I'm as blown away as I was the first time so we're going to talk about it more in the full podcast with you but hat off to you guys and and Katie who we finally yeah. able to say thank you to who, for the who, awesome who, design who's going to come on the podcast as well yeah, yeah I'm, I'm excited for her to get a chance to talk about her design inspiration and, and what her plans are independent of any sort of you know ethics or, or hunting conversation because she's got a design background and is trying to win awards for design independent of our thoughts on conservation which is cool I, is don't, that- I don't know what you've done to my dog Tyler but he's never normally jumping around like this <laughs> this is him reverting back to a puppy yeah <laughs> well He's just excited that we're here, I think. Yeah, yeah he is. A bit like my puppy's been for the, yeah. the whole duration. Well, that is great. We're going to be recording podcasts with you guys in the next couple of days. Uh, and our listeners who are listening to this will be able to 
tune in in a week's time to hear it. Don't forget to head over to the Scott Country website, scottcountry.co.uk forward slash Black Friday. 5 p.m. Thursday, everything goes. You're going to regret it if live. you don't go. If, if, if you, you if you miss if out, if you've been considering any of these these things, thermal imaging, night sights, they've even got um, trail cameras on there oh, as well. Yeah, good point. Um, any of those kind of things, get over to their website then. Yeah, and and you will not regret it. Absolutely. At 5 p.m. the workday is over, but maybe <laughs> maybe maybe steal a bit of time in your workday just to like prep. Yeah, prep and get ready. Uh, because once once it'll be gone, it'll be gone. Yeah, it is. Thanks very much for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Journalism is probably a good place to start to give us a kind of uh, a background as to how you got into the the hunting community as a journalist. Where did it start for you? Uh, well, like a lot of people, um, I just sort of uh, followed in my dad's footsteps, picking up uh, an air rifle and, and sort of kind of going from there and getting into the, uh, the hunting and shooting um, kind of uh, way of life, if you like. Um, the journalism part, that kind of stemmed um, from uh, the YouTube videos. I started doing a bit for YouTube as I started getting into uh, longer range shooting and things like that and general foxing. Um and uh, yeah, it just it just happened. I crossed paths with Mike Powell, um, and he very kindly um, sort of got me uh, got me into the uh, the journalism side of things. Yeah, Mike's Mike's a good guy. I know him well. I haven't actually spoken to him on the phone for a little while, so I, I need to I need to correct that and give him a shout. But so yeah, when, he's a great guy, really nice guy. Yeah. So what was what was the the kind of catalyst for your YouTube channel, your own YouTube channel? Because the, you know, there's one thing being enthused by um, the shooting and kit, and the, I know you know long range shooting, which we're going to talk about. Uh, more as the podcast yeah. goes on, but there's a there's kind of a step from being enthused by it, and then it's a quite a lot of effort to go and film it, edit it, upload it onto a channel. So, what, why did you make that exactly? Leap? Well, it actually started. I started taking a camcorder along with me because uh, I generally shoot on my own. So, having a camcorder next to me when I'm taking longer range shots, things like that, was great because it acts like a spotter for me. So, um, I get instant sort of playback to see where my shots have gone in the case of a miss. Uh, and then bit by bit, as I sort of progressed in that in that field, um, I started getting a few sort of quite nice shots and that on um, on film. And um, I just kind of I think someone said to me, well, "Why don't you put some of those up on YouTube?" There's a few other people. I think at the time there was a guy called Cy Snipe that was doing quite a lot on YouTube, uh, the similar sort of varmint in that kind of thing. So uh, I put a couple of um, videos up, and they started getting more and more popular, and uh, more and more subscribers, and what have you, and. Um, yeah, I think just bit by bit, I try to improve on on the videos each time, and before long, it it kind of turned into what it is now. So, yeah, it just it just kind of came about. It wasn't something I intentionally set out to do. And what's the what has your the response of the community and other people been like via YouTube? Because it can be it can be a kind of hostile environment from time to time, depending on the kind of stuff that you know you're putting up, and we all know. In the kind of hunting world, it's very easy to attract the wrong kind of uh, kind of attention. So, what's that been like for you? Because it's been quite a few years since you probably uploaded your first video. Yeah, I mean, you do you do obviously in any um, in any sort of uh, thing like that. Whenever you put out hunting videos and um, or even anything in the press and that, you you're going to get negative responses from someone. Um, and yeah, there is a small minority of people that 
uh, we'll we'll trawl the internet or uh, YouTube and find these sort of videos and then sort of jump on them and, and slate them. But um, I've always sort of tried to answer any any sort of abuse and that I get on there just politely with uh, a response as to why it's being done and kind of portray the bigger picture of it. Um, and then if they sort of just as they tend to do, they tend to sort of be a bit um, kind of not take the information on board. And uh, if you get that sort of thing, they continue with the abuse. I just block them, and then it just saves any problems future, you know, future problems with them. How did you find the crossover from doing your YouTube thing? to the slightly more regimented role of a written journalist because you're I, I don't know what I'm not entirely sure what other publications you write for but I know that you're a, you're a fellow um, sporting rifle writer as well uh yeah yeah all right sporting rifle and um also rifle shooting magazine um yeah rifle shoot is a, a, a newer one so um I've not been writing from for all that long but um yeah no that's 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 going well at the moment so um yeah no I I I, the other thing I used to do was um, kind of back in the day when there was a few more forums and things like that on the internet, I used to occasionally write kind of short stories of, or just kind of write-ups of a morning out or a, a night's foxing and then uh, I sort of put like a little short story of it and people seemed to quite enjoy the write-ups and it, it was just sort of like a, a longer version of those really doing an article. So, <laughs> yeah, not too much of a transition. Do you think the – I remember the kind of forum world – uh, not just in hunting, but in... It used to be massive, not yeah. just for for everything it was Anything big. that you enjoyed doing in life, yeah. there was probably a forum for it at one point. Exactly. Having been yeah, involved in it has, it, has it died, has it? Well, it's kind of gone over to Facebook, to be honest. That's that's the long and short of it. Facebook has kind of taken over. Um, and a lot of these little forums have sort of um, now sort of, uh, yeah, just sort of disappeared. So, which is a shame, really, because it was quite a, a nice little sort of community, and you got to know people quite well through these um, sort of little forums. You might find it go full swing back at some point with, with the way that Facebook has seemed to go. Over very the last true. Few years. Yeah, yeah, very true. It, it quite possibly could. It seems to be that some of the uh, some of the groups, uh, well, there's there's talk and there seems to be rumours that things are going to be closed down and. So um, yeah, we'll have to sort of watch that space and see what happens. So it could well go back to the old uh, the old forums online. Tell us a little bit more about the kind of hunting that you enjoy to uh, enjoy doing, because I want to dig into that a little bit more so that people can understand. It. I mean, even to the you know the, the level of kit, and we'll kind of build it out and also talk about the sort of ethics and things you have got to think about in long range shooting, which is I know particularly what you like to do. Yeah, um, well, I think as far as kit goes, it's, it's a bit like anything. Uh, if you're seriously into what you do, you, you always want to buy the best kit to, to achieve what you what you do. Um, so, yeah, I kind of, um, it's a, I suppose it's a bit like playing golf or something. You, you buy the best set of golf clubs you can afford, so hopefully make you play a bit better. Um, so, so, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I've, uh, I've kind of gone through different kit and that and um used different different things and found what works and what doesn't so i've uh, kind of whittled it down now to sort of basic kit which i use which seems to work so what what's your i suppose probably a good starting point was let's paint a picture of the type of shooting that you do so that we can explain that to people and then build back to the kind of kit that enables you to do that okay well top shooting i've, I've kind of um Generally, it's basically either night shooting or day shooting. If I'm day shooting, then I'll gear myself up 
uh, for long range shooting because a lot of the ground that I shoot is open hillside on the downland and that down in Sussex where shots can be well anything to well you name the range really uh, the potential to go out to sort of six seven hundred yards if you wanted to or more um realistically i'll try and sort of keep the shots to sort of three four hundred yards on the hills uh and it has to be in the right conditions for obviously for humane reasons and um you want to make sure that you you put the bullet in the right spot um the other type of shooting i do is night shooting which is a, a totally different ball game and um yeah i tend to use thermal uh thermal imager to spot and the night vision um to actually take the shot and again, I use different calibers uh, for each each sort of application. I've got um, a 260 Remington custom-built rifle, which I use for long-range shooting uh, and day shooting. And I've got a uh, 223, which is a customised um, Ticker T3. And uh, both the rifles were done by um, Paddy Dane at Dane Co. Rifles. And um, yeah, I just will use either one for for each application. What kind of, uh, I mean, what does your quarry species list look like for the, the hunting that you're doing down there? Um, mainly fox. We get a lot of foxes down this way. Uh, and a lot of the ground that we shoot over is um, uh, sort of uh, sheep farmed or um, uh, occasionally um, sort of poultry and cattle farms. So um, foxes are always sort of a problem, especially on the sheep farms in lambing, lambing season. So we get a lot of calls for that. Uh, yeah, we we do get some um, some quite sort of quite significant numbers of foxes in this area. Uh, I was out with a guy um, Saturday night and uh, just as a, a normal evening out, and um, I took him out kind of spotting for him, and he managed to shoot seven foxes just throughout the evening, which without any difficulty. Even some sometimes we had sort of three or four foxes in the same same field at the same time. So foxes will be the main main sort of quarry. Um, crows and that are also a problem down here. We've still got a few rabbits kicking around, although the numbers have diminished a bit in this area. Uh, yeah, they're, they're the main things, and then occasionally uh, with a bit of stalking as well. We get quite a lot of fallow and that in this area, um, a few row, and that's that's pretty much it. And the main kind of uh, main quarry species. Um, when you're having discussions with people about about shooting and particularly at this kind of extended ranges that not everybody has the kit or the ability to take those shots at how do you rationalize the kind of the, the ethics of that and and what you're doing uh, particularly for well not just for hunters but we have a lot of people listen to this podcast who don't necessarily shoot themselves so that, just so that they can understand what it is, is that you're doing and the considerations that you 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 take into account when you're you're hunting in this with these kind of methods okay right well first of all i guess uh the 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 key thing is to shoot within your capabilities and your comfort zone so for some people that might be a fox at 100 yards for other people that might be a fox at three four hundred yards it all depends about how well you know your equipment its capabilities um your your ballistics for um for your rifle and your ammunition you're using it's it's a very sort of scientific um process if you like uh it's not just a sort of case of um or oh, just give that a little bit of hold over and hope for the best it's uh each shot's dialed in and environmental conditions are um accounted for so you've got your wind um air pressure and density everything is all sort of factored into each shot at extended ranges um 
also it depends on the quarry as well I mean, if you're shooting rabbits and crows and things like that or vomiting at long distances then it's pretty much with a centerfire rifle if you hit something small like that then it's it's either a kill or a miss it's very very unlikely that you're going to wound something like a, a crow or a or a rabbit at long distances for the simple fact that you're shooting it with a centerfire rifle and uh, the, just the power of the of the round that you're putting down range so uh it'd be a different sort of situation if you're shooting deer say um for me shooting long range on deer is not something that i'd, I'd like to do i i would limit that to probably probably a few hundred yards but it all depends on the on the um on the conditions you know if you've got a very windy day or something then 300 yards might be out of the question so it's it really is a case of of weighing up everything and knowing whether or not you can make that shot yeah so you're adjusting the shots that you're taking for the environmental conditions and the species that you're hunting exactly yeah uh, and how much time do you spend on the range because we we talk about this quite a bit actually the the importance of of actually just um honing your craft of just be it long range shooting or short range shooting on a range on uh in different positions yeah uh well for a start all the sort of long range shots are always taken off a bipod with uh, a rear bag as a rest so you, you you get the most stable position you can get um and i'll practice that well, sometimes it can be daily it depends on on the weather my my workloads things like that whenever i can get out but yeah i'll get out as often as i can which can sometimes be four or five times a week or at very minimum at least it's once or twice a week so um yeah i'm out quite a lot and i do get through a fair few rounds i'll probably i should think probably just on my 260 alone i'll probably put um, a good thousand rounds or so uh, a year through that uh plus i'm shooting with um the 22 rimfire which is good practice and i'm also using the 223 for all my night shooting and that so yeah i'll get through quite a few rounds a year it's something I've actually written about before in the magazine is the lack of practice that a lot of people do. I'd say yeah. that you know, a lot of sort of recreational stalkers who they just possibly don't have the time to do it even as much as they would like to. Yeah, but they buy it. one yeah. box of ammo a year, they shoot maybe three deer and they'll be lucky if they shoot the rest of the box on the range. And in my mind, it's just not enough. It's not enough no. to, to shoot that and really be be comfortable you you can back it up you, like you rightly said um shooting smaller calibers like a 22 which is a lot cheaper and i'd encourage people to do that just Definitely. just handling a gun yeah. all the time uh really really does help but yeah just to reinforce that for people listening you really do need to spend some more time on the range than you probably do maybe not maybe not you Mark, because you, <laughs> with your thousand rounds but most people do need to spend more time than they actually do definitely yeah well it's the same same old adage isn't it practice makes perfect and um we're all, we're all always learning and uh we could always be that little bit better so um yeah definitely practicing even if it's just if you can't get out and down to the range and even just practice dry firing at home obviously making sure that the, the rifle's empty um, and you can just uh, just practice your trigger control, uh, you, you, the way you mount your rifle, just, con you know, kind of concentrate on your technique. Um, even that's good practice. How have you seen uh, night nighttime hunting and, and shooting change 
like in the last 10 years because the technology now is it's crazy changed dramatically <laughs> yeah it really has i mean when i first started shooting everything was done under a lamp and um you're lugging around a big heavy battery a microsoft battery or something like that and uh, the lamps weren't as powerful as the, the sort of things you can get now i mean nowadays um take something like the wicked lights for instance so you've got a perfect little um lamp there with a dimmer switch and everything it, it sits on top of your rifle you've got one on off switch there's no leads tropes in everywhere and uh coming unplugged at the at the worst possible time and we've all been there all done that sort of thing so um yeah i mean the the, the led lights and that have uh, transformed the lamp inside of it and of course you've got night vision and now thermal which has just transformed the way we way we hunt at night the, the, the you know sort of the ability to to kind of uh, walk out into a field and scan around with a thermal binocular and just see anything that's in that field straight away it's just made it so much easier um just to not just to sort of pick up quarry but also for um shooting purposes uh these thermal scopes and that they're coming to the market and that now yeah it's it's a totally different um totally different sport i know you you um speak to the guys and use equipment from the uh, the, the chaps at scott country quite a lot what is uh what is it that you're using right now what is the sort of the pinnacle of equipment that you're using at night time uh, that you've got comfortable with and as your day-to-day equipment um well the pulsar spotters are um second to none i've got one of the uh the pulsar xp 38 i believe it is the af i forget all the numbers and names of them all now but um yeah the uh the quantum monoculars are excellent spotters um as far as scopes well i've just had uh, one of the little digi sites that was a pretty good little scope the um oh the ultra um from scott country that was a good scope had that on test for a a while at a good price that's the other thing the prices of these things have come down so much that they've come into the um into the budget of many many sort of fox shooters it used to be the price of the car that's right yeah it did yeah yeah well now you can sort of um well it probably is about the same price as my car to be fair (laughs) (laughs) It's, uh, it's come down dramatically in in um yeah in comparison so yeah and even thermal equipment as well thermal spotters and that come down sort of uh to within reach of a lot of people as well now so they're sort of quite commonplace for people that haven't used uh either night vision or thermal be that spotters or the thermal scopes which are even now um affordable to some extent what do people have yeah. to keep in mind and consider when they're setting it up and using for the first time because it is very very different using that kind of kit compared to a traditional scope and a lamp it is yeah definitely um i think in terms of thermal um it it takes a little bit getting used to because you obviously what you're seeing is heat signature you're not actually seeing the quarry itself so for i guess it, it takes a little bit getting used to just the sort of the whole concept of that uh and after a while i think you you actually start to to sort of identify things quite often not just by the way they look but the way they move uh and it can be very deceiving when you first start out you might sort of see two rabbits together and it'll look like a fox and we've all probably done that anyone that's used thermal will have done that at some point you think oh there's a fox over there and then all of a sudden it splits in half and hops in different directions um so that's sort of one thing that takes a little bit getting used to as far as night vision goes um well it's I think setting them up now has become a lot easier. They're quite a lot of them are quite straightforward and uh, fairly easy to to zero in and 
and what have you. So I don't think there's too much too much issues with that. Occasionally, range finding at night can be a little bit difficult with night vision. That's what um, I found. But it's, yeah, it's just kind of getting used to it, I think. And it also depends on what you're using night vision for. I mean, I I still tend to um, tend to to shoot rabbits now under a lamp because with a with a two two, then whether it's 50 yards, 60 yards, 70 yards can make a big difference. Whereas if you're foxing, if it's sort of, you kind of get to know the size of fox and you think, yeah, that's, that's, that's in range. You can, you can tell if it's a hundred or 150 and you're using the two, two, three, it doesn't really make a lot of difference to, in terms of ballistics, you know, the shot placements can be much the same. It's a bit more forgiving. Whereas a two, two, you might have to sort of aim off a little bit or aim a little bit higher. So it's, um, yeah, that, that takes a bit of getting used to. I know exactly what you're saying when uh, you were describing what it's like using thermal and trying to ID what it is that you're looking at. Do you think there's a do you think there's a, a danger that maybe people are not cautious enough with IDing, especially now that we're getting into the realms of scopes? It's very different if it's just a spotter because who cares? You you get it wrong with a spotter, you need to look through something exactly, else before you take yeah. a shot. But just to emphasize the importance of IDing, you know, before even pointing a gun at something. Yeah, no, you're quite right. Um, for me, I think, in all honesty, I'm not a hundred percent sure on the uh, the thermal scopes. I think they're very good, and certainly within within sort of a hundred, hundred and fifty yards, you should be able to idea fox a hundred percent using um, a thermal scope. But anything further than that, out to sort of two hundred or above two hundred, it starts becoming somewhat more difficult which I think is where problems could occur. So you really do need to be 100% on what you're looking at. And again, that down that sort of boils down to experience. Um, as I say, not just from from watching the quarry, but also watching the way it moves, if you see what I mean. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I think that that is kind of something that you need to sort of take into account. Having said that, the uh, thermal scopes are, are improving almost daily. It's crazy, yeah. So yeah, it really is, and um, I think it probably won't be long before we're seeing kind of night vision and thermal combined in some form, uh, which will which will eliminate that issue. You'll be able to sort of swap from from one to the other to ID things and that. So yeah, that that is that is the only drawback with thermal, and the other drawback as well, actually, saying that is uh, sometimes you can see what you can see a fox sat in cover, and you think that looks like a clear shot through a thermal, but then when you look through a night vision scope, you can actually see that there's quite a few branches and things like that that are in the way, which you might not might not be aware of. Yeah, uh, using a the thermal scope. I know for for me personally, and a lot of. Um... A lot of keeper friends of mine, the way that they they tend to have their nighttime setups work is they've got a thermal spotter, but they're, a lot of them are still shooting through a night vision scope. So they yeah, they, I do. They ping, yeah. they ping their ID, uh, work out what it what, what it is through the the thermal because it's it's so easy, and then you've got that double confirmation when you're actually looking through yeah. the night vision scope, which is you know, daytime but at night in with no color. Uh, and, yeah, and, and I I'm more comfortable with that setup personally. I, I think that's the, the sort of perfect yeah. combo. Yeah, yeah. I I feel it is. Um, however, saying that though, the thermal scopes are very good in as much as they're completely covert and uh, whatever you're shooting has no idea you're there. Um, yeah, it's it's a tough call that one. But um, yeah, for me at the moment, the way things are, I'm still 
I'm still, uh, and also the, the cost as well, because thermal rifle scopes aren't the cheapest things on the market at the moment. So if you can afford a thermal spotter, you can buy a, um, a cheap night vision scope, something like a photon or uh, one of these add-ons. Um, and yeah, he it, it hasn't, it hasn't got to break the bank. You could probably pick a thermal spotter up for, I don't know, what, 12, 1300 quid probably, now yeah. or a second-hand one. You know, and then uh, just buy, um, you could buy a photon or something for five, six hundred pounds and you're, you're off, you're away. So, yeah. yeah. Ultimately, it lies, the responsibility lies, lies with the shooter, which I think uh, hopefully we've got, uh, we've got that across. And But that's not just, yes. that's not just using equipment like that. This, this, this is with any aspect of hunting. Um, Without doubt. Uh, and yeah, you're right. As the technology moves on, the possibilities the possibilities change. Uh, I do remember using what was, I think, the first commercially available thermal scope, and I think it was about eight thousand pounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. now I think they're maybe around, you know, sort of two and a half grand. I think you can pick up one. Yeah. 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 You would. Yeah. Even the even the uh, the night vision spotters. Oh, sorry. The even the thermal spotters go back 10 years ago you were talking about like 16 grand and they yeah were, they were car mounted yeah they were huge <laughs> I, I some of the guys i know still have them because they cost so much at the time they have to hold on to them but <laughs> it's right. uh yeah it is amazing how how far we've come yeah well it's the same as anything when these things catch on become more and more popular and more people buy them and obviously the cheaper they get um and the more they develop and then you, the older models then become affordable so yeah we we kind of touched earlier on about um, the the different quarry species that you're going after, and because we've got quite a few listeners that don't necessarily shoot or anything, they may ask why why are you shooting so many foxes? Uh, why are you shooting the rabbits and so on and so, the crows and well. the crows as well? Maybe can you just explain what they yeah, what they do? Okay, right. Well, let's just take into account um, say a. a typical sort of um spring lambing um session if you like uh every spring we have literally thousands of lambs and that are born out onto the um onto the open hills um that obviously gives a perfect food source for foxes and at that time of year in the spring they've got young themselves so naturally they're put under more pressure to find food so when you've got a field full of young lambs popping around then um you're obviously going to start losing them and also with the crows as well they can be just as bad when you've got young lambs um that have just been born still trying to find their feet the crows will mob them and they'll pluck out the eyes even even the lamb a full uh sorry a, a ewe a fully grown ewe if it gets caught in brambles or something then um magpies and uh and crows they'll um they'll pluck you know pluck the eyes out of those and uh yeah they can be a real real menace yeah, it's one of those. It's one of those interesting aspects, uh, the varminting side and, and the pest control side, where a lot of the hunting that we try and explain and justify to a general public who maybe doesn't understand it, we always go back to the well, we can put food in our fr- put food in the freezer, and it's a very ethical way to, to source food. But this is a, a very good example of why shooting and hunting in this way is necessary i mean it still is kind of for food because you're protecting an agricultural crop 
which is in, yeah. in this case actually livestock. Um, yeah. But you're you're not going to be eating it. I think no one's going to expect you to be eating the crows and magpies because they just taste disgusting. So we are not yeah. shooting and then making full use of whatever it is that we've killed. But it, it's still something that's necessary to yeah. do. This and, is this is purely press control. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And trying to explain that to people is is sometimes difficult, especially if you're not sort of involved in that world. Well, the, the trouble is when um, in the lambing then. A fox once a fox starts taking lambs it doesn't just take one and then uh, as a one-off once it's taken one it then suddenly realizes it's, it's found an easy source food source and it will just keep coming back night after night until you shoot that particular fox um trouble with foxes is they all look the same so naturally uh when you're out you've got to just take out any fox that you see because each one if it isn't the one that's doing the damage it's a potential risk um because they're they're all given the opportunity they'll all uh will take a lamb so yeah it, it really is a necessity to uh to thin out fox numbers and as i say we do have some ridiculous numbers of foxes we had some i think last spring we were losing some lambs on one farm and it was literally i think the first six that were born they were put out in the field and by the morning four had gone uh after that we shot um i think within a week we'd shot about 16 foxes off just off that one spot on the farm so it, it kind of shows the sort of numbers that are coming in into that lambing field do, do you think that there is uh an issue with urban foxes being relocated back into the countryside i know i've personally shot a fox uh near one of the urban centers where we live that yep. had stitches on the inside of its legs uh, it's, it's and obviously been hit by a yeah. car or something and, and fixed up and chucked out. Yeah, it does happen quite a lot. Um, we actually had that on one of the farms that we were shooting. Um, there, we were regularly seeing several foxes that were, that were clearly out of their territory, just sort of kind of sat looking a bit lost and things like that. We had one that had a flea collar on. Wow. Um, a flea collar, that is so irresponsible. It, well, yeah, because not only would it, could it have, sort of caught on brambles and strangled thing but it was actually cutting into its neck because it had obviously been put on to this when it was younger animal. when it was younger Poor it had grown brother. and it was it was all infected around its neck with the flea collar had been cutting into it so and yeah there's clearly things like that happen but on this particular farm there was uh, a woman that was um was releasing these foxes at the end of the sort of the end of the the farm grounds uh i think she had something to do with uh, like fox rescue or something um but anyway she was releasing them and it got to such an extent that we were shooting so many foxes on the ground that the farmer actually went and saw her and said uh, any chance you could release a few more foxes because the guys are running out of things to shoot which then <laughs> put a stop to that problem but up until that point we were just shooting ridiculous numbers of foxes on there and uh that was the only way that we were able to sort of kind of put a stop to it permanently it's sorry Karen, i was just going to say but this this kind of um or pest control or or uh, protection of crops i mean it's not unique to where you are this this happens across the whole of the uk and around around the world so i think people just need to understand that if you are eating lamb or uh you're eating grains or or whatever it is pigeons yeah. pigeons there there has been some form of pest control in the exact manner that you've just been talking about it's probably happened undoubtedly to... yeah it's you know i have no doubt that you know the people releasing foxes 
kind of back into the wild after rehabilitating for whatever reason they've come by them are doing it with the best of intentions uh, but, undoubtedly yeah without a doubt but it's it's a shame because it it doesn't make sense and it's i i feel like it's a it's a lack of education and understanding of how the countryside yes. works that this goes on because it, it doesn't it's not really well i mean you've gave, gave a perfect example of how it truly isn't fair on the animals because some someone very idiotically put a flea collar that's just stupid um but even yeah. without that just releasing you know foxes that have been fixed up back into the wild it's not really fair on those animals because like you said you know they got to they you might dump them right in the middle of a territory at a wrong time of year and they might struggle to actually survive yeah, I mean, if you if you take a fox that's been used to an, an urban environment, it's been used to sort of raiding dustbins and and or finding food that's been put out for it, then all of a sudden, if it finds itself in the middle of the South Downs with nothing but rabbits to hunt, then it's, if it's not used to that, it's never been kind of taught how to do that by parents, then um, it, yeah, it's going to struggle without a doubt, and also it's going to be in direct competition with other foxes in that in the area as well. Which it might not be sort of used to. Um, I will just say also, primarily for for people who this is maybe a bit new to, is that the idea that we would manage to hunt or shoot out all of the foxes in the country is something that people have been talking about for many, many, many years. And I think as far as I understand, the population is still, if it's not stable, it's actually sort of ticking up and increasing as time goes by. So we've come nowhere near. Yeah. And it and it's never the, well, for most all the people that I know, it is never their intention. No one would want to see the last fox, but it is about trying to balance it with the simple fact yes. that we also share the landscape. And, and you, you yeah, painted the perfect example there with, with the farming and the, and the sheep. It is all about balance. I mean, the thing is with the fox, there's no, it's got no natural predators anymore. There's no wolf or anything to, that would that would prey on them. The only predator it has now is people that are shooting them or um, or cars. That is probably the biggest predator to the fox is the car. So, um, yeah, putting it in perspective, um, people are shooting foxes in, in areas where they're causing a problem. But in the urban areas, the numbers, are, I forget what the figures were, but I know there was a... Some information came out on that a little while back, and it was something like about four times what it was so many years ago, or something. And it was astronomical sort of numbers. So much food waste for them to. I mean, <laughs> I've seen a fox once uh, in the town, and I think it was running away with a. It was like a polystyrene thing of chips that it was running away with. I mean, they're they're, <laughs> they're not healthy. <laughs> they're not. Eating I used to, he- yeah. when I worked in Edinburgh. I used to. They used to walk down the other side of the street with me sometimes at the office. Yeah, yeah, you regularly see them about. Um, I, even where I live, which is kind of, um, it's, it's still sort of fairly rural area, but you do see, uh, yeah, you do see sort of a lot of fox numbers within the within the town itself, and that, yeah, there's lots of foxes about. It's not uncommon to to see. On for me to drive to where I shoot, which is probably three miles, I'll quite easily see four four or five foxes possibly in some evenings just on the way to where I shoot just on the roads so certainly through the urban areas and that the uh, the numbers are, are really high in fact I was just talking to a guy that lives in a sort of Surrey area the other day and I think from the end of uh, February to now he'd shot 30 something foxes in his garden he's got a fairly big garden and he was just uh, shooting with a 2-2 as they came into the garden 
and uh, I think one night he shot three in the in the garden. So <laughs> it just sort of goes to show how many foxes are coming through an urban area. Now we're running up to Christmas. I can't believe I'm actually saying that already. That it's the run up to Christmas. Every year, me and Byron do a, a show, and we just talk about the the stuff that we use throughout the year, be it you know boots jackets um yeah. year to year sometimes it's the same thing because we just don't change because we like our kit um and yeah. i think you would be a perfect person to go through uh what you use what you really like and then maybe some things that have caught your eye over the last you know few months uh, and give people ideas for for christmas and also there's a lot of um sales and that coming up in the next few weeks as well so let's yeah, just, well, let's just start with yeah start with uh, clothing what you use when you're going out clothing i'm very much a fan of the deer hunter clothing i think that the brand itself is really hard wearing and it's it's not expensive you haven't got to pay the earth for it uh i think it lasts really well i um i've had one of the uh the montana um jackets for quite a few years which has been brilliant uh and i've also got uh for the when it gets really cold i've got one there rusky jackets which has been really good as well i've had that for several years now um so i'm a big fan of deer hunter stuff um as far as boots go i normally use um well i'm not, I'm, I'm quite a fan of wearing wellies i just sort of find that the, the decent pair of wellies these days they're so comfortable and they've got the neoprene and that in them so they keep your feet warm I've got a pair of the um, Agal, is it? Agal, 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 something uh, like that. Yeah, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I find they've, they've been brilliant. Um, gift ideas, well, yeah, I mean, we're all in, um, up for sort of keeping warm at this time of year. Uh, Zippo hand warmer, they're really good. I bought one of those last year, which is um, that sort of saw me through some some cold nights sat in high seats I've and things seen like them, that. But I've, I've got I'm, one. I'm, I'm, is that the fuel one, is it? Yeah, you put it fuel, you fill it with lighter fuel yeah. and, uh, and light the thing, and it lasts for about twelve hours, I think, or, or sometimes more. And they're really good. You put that, especially if you put it sort of in the inside pocket of your jacket, that will warm your whole sort of jacket up and keep you warm. So, um, yeah, they're they're well worth about twenty, thirty quid or whatever they are. Um, yeah, just decent pairs of gloves. Um, yeah, there's so many different things on the market now. It's uh, yeah, anything that makes your life a bit more comfortable. What have you got coming up in the next few weeks to the run-up of Christmas? You've got you got much more filming going on. You doing any exciting stuff for the magazines or anything? Um, I think it's pretty much the basic sort of things, um, normal sort of articles and that going in for for the magazines. Um, I've got a, a review to do on the Wicked Lights a video for that. Um, what else have I got to get on with? I'm just trying to think. I've got a long list of things that I need to do. I've just got hold of a Browning X-Bolt chassis rifle and a uh, Swarovski DS scope. So um, I'm looking forward to sort of um, having a little play with that and uh, see if I can do some long-range stuff and just do a bit of a review on on um, on that. I remember uh, being in at Iwa in Germany when they released that scope uh, two years ago. Now I yeah, think two almost years ago, two yeah. years. Ago. Yeah. Uh, so that'll be yeah. interesting to see what you make of it. Have you have you had the the, the wicked light for long? Have you? Yeah, I've had that for probably oh, I don't know. I don't know how long they've been out now, but I I got one pretty much as soon as they came out, sort of or were popular here with Scott Country um, distributing them. Uh, so it's probably good good six six months or so. Um, yeah, I've, I'm really really impressed with them. I think they're excellent. Uh, and for money, you know, as a as a package kit, you get a lot for the money. And um, yeah, I think it, probably if they'd come out 
10 years ago, I don't know if I would have even sort of delved into the world of uh, of night vision shooting and that because they're just such a powerful little lamp. But uh, yeah, they're, well, just yeah, much better than the old sort of lamps we used to use. It's incredible. We might have to ask Paul nicely if he can send us one to to, to yeah. turn in inverted commas to test. <laughs> yeah, long term. Yeah, long term <laughs> test, please, Paul. Yeah, yeah, no, they are really, really good. If you haven't used one, I'd, I'd uh, definitely say have a go. Uh, I took one out on the hill and was um, lit up some sheep and that over four hundred yards with it, and that's not just eye shine. That's actually lighting up a sheep. That if that had been a fox potentially you could shoot that well you certainly idea at that range which is uh which is phenomenal you'd be able to use that for self-defense as well it's <laughs> <laughs> that bright yeah yeah no they really are very very good uh it's been fantastic to talk to you about kit and the kind of hunting that you do which is something we haven't really covered no. on this podcast and we don't often uh do not that we've gone really really deep into kit but we don't often really talk about that kind of thing and it's something we always promised we're going to do a bit more of because i know people ask of, us about they it. do they yeah. do uh, so thanks very yeah. much for taking the time to to dig into that mark and no problem I, I, I think some really interesting aspects have come from it as well you know it's let us explain certain aspects of uh of the community to the to the wider world which uh, i don't think we've really covered on the podcast before even though we've been doing it for three years so it's been a really valuable discussion thanks for listening to the show you'll only have to wait one more week and there'll be another show out but saying that i think it might actually be brother film next oh did we get it wrong not tyler yeah yeah mike well we don't know yet okay so we'll see we'll see but you are going to be hearing from and you're going to be hearing from katie and you're going to be hearing from brother film because uh, we Brother Film's going to be something a little bit different. We don't normally do podcasts like that. Uh, these are guys who just make epic films. Yeah. So as a preemptively for the podcast that we do with them, go and check out Brother Film. I just, just saw. I just saw they they talk about at the end they they talk about uh, a project that they were doing. They couldn't really talk about it, but it was to do with a luxury watch okay. company. I've actually seen the trailer so for it, I. and it's the kids' cartoon Ben Ten. But with the like more adult, but it did not have the guy from the Only Way Is Essex on. Yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah they released that the yeah, other day. It was like a spoof that. behind yeah, so the that's, scenes. That's thing. actually out now. Ah, okay. So yeah. at the time they couldn't talk about it, but now you'll be able to go and see what it is that they're working about. Uh, super high end, a great bunch of guys, and certainly you know raising the bar in terms of filmmaking here in the UK. Indeed. Now, like we said before, if you, in fact, there's no excuse. Just get over. On on the web, on the line, and head over to Scott Country. Yep. On uh, on Thursday, the the day this podcast has come out, so that will be the twenty second of November. Is that twenty second, Byron? Um, oh, we're, we're getting well, that today is the twenty first. So yes, yes tomorrow is twenty second of November, five pm, which yep. is a Thursday. And uh, you can head over to their Black Friday sales, which is all the W's, ScottCountry.co.uk forward slash Black Friday. They have an incredible array of gear from lights to bags and night vision and thermal you name it scopes yeah the list is huge pulsar night yep. sight uh i'm actually going to bring up some other things oh you are while we're looking to see what other uh, things oh have you got it through. i i do actually have uh, you're, you're privy privy yeah, to I'm this privy, i'm privy to some but of there's going to be up to 50 percent off across the ranges that they have uh, plus plus a clearance pdf yes which is going to be even oh, i didn't mention that discussed. before there's going to be predator calls oh 
and uh, then you're going to have the, I think I did mention it before, the flare th thermal and night vision, which mm -hmm. I've actually used, which I quite like. And then the wild game innovations trail, trail cams. So, yeah, th there is loads. You just need to get on, get yourself on, check the clearance list, check the, the deals, and you won't be disappointed. Especially if you're in the market for one right now, anyway. In fact, if you'll probably, if you go on, you'll be tempted to buy something. It's not a bad thing. Daryl's been distracting me because he's flicking through a whole bunch of discounts that I had before. <laughs> Mine hasn't seen them. Uh, yeah, I might have to go and check as well. Uh, thank you very much for listening to the show. Don't forget that you can listen to this podcast on pretty much any podcast oh, platform. And I tested something the other day. Uh, it is now on Amazon Alexa. I didn't know that. What can you say? Listen to so, Into the Wilderness podcast. So all you go is Alexa, play the Pace Brothers Into the Wilderness podcast. And then she plays it. Boom. Boom. Done. It, it's an add-on with TuneIn Radio, so I don't know if you have to enable TuneIn Radio, but I don't think so, because I've never done it on mine. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Getting into the world of AI. Yeah. You know, Alexa, your dog, you know, we, I, I let my dog listen to our podcast when I go out. <laughs> <laughs> Poor dog. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that's us. You're yeah. going to hear from us again in a week's time. <laughs>